You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. This podcast is designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. The information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Where a client passes away, it's a common misconception that as long as the estate is kept open, then no beneficiaries need to pay tax and that the assets don't count for Centrelink purposes. However, this is not the case. My name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to discuss both the taxation and Centrelink treatment of estate assets is Linda Bruce and Kim Guest. How are you guys? Good, Craig. How are you? Very Hello. well. Hi, everyone. Hey. hey, Kim. All right. Now, before we start looking at the taxation of deceased estates and Centrelink, I suppose we've got to have at least an understanding of what a deceased estate actually is to set the scene. So, Linda, what's a deceased estate? It's a trust, right? It's just like any other forms of a trust. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between multiple parties, uh, we have um, uh, the trustee, which is required to manage or administer the trust the property in the best interest of the beneficiaries. Okay, so for for a trust to exist, you need those three elements that you just kind of mentioned. So we've got to have a trustee. Yep. We've got to have at least one beneficiary. And we've got to have clearly defined trust property, or at least I'm getting that from my taxation of trusts course, right? (laughs) Now, so if we start with property of the trust or the property of the estate, not all assets that someone has when they pass away form part of their estate. So do you want to go through and outline what are those assets that are actually going to form part of someone's estate that we then need to worry about from a taxation and centering perspective? Sure. So uh, the commonly seen uh, assets that will go to the state when someone passes away. To start with, uh, anything owned by the individual under their sole individual names will go to the DC state. Or uh, the asset was jointly owned, but we're not talking about a joint tenants. We're talking about tenants mm-hmm. in common. So anything owned as a tenancy in common by the deceased with other people, but the deceased share or interest in that particular asset uh, can go to the state. So we touched on joint tenants, uh, and that's a very um, you know familiar concept to most of our advisors. Uh, the survivorship will take over, uh, and the jointly owned assets and the joint tenants will never ever form part of the deceased assets uh, and a deceased state and also the uh, assets owned by private companies or trusts, that's not, has nothing to do with the deceased person, they will not end up in the deceased state. And something else okay. would be super death benefits where there's no beneficiary nomination or if there was one, but it's invalid, uh, and all the LPR, meaning legal personal representative, uh, is actually nominated uh, as the um, beneficiary uh, to the deceased super death benefit, um, then those in this kind of situations, um, the trustee will have to pay it to the deceased state where the LPI is nominated beneficiary, 
or the trustee might exercise discretion in the absence of the valid nomination to pay it to the deceased state. And and, and I've always, yeah. I've always kind of—I'll just stop you there. I've always kind of wondered about that. Why, why does superannuation not form part of someone's estate? I suppose the answer there is it's what you've got there is an entitlement to a benefit to be paid out of a trust upon satisfying certain conditions, right? So the the benefit you've got there is a trust entitlement. It's not an actual asset like a property or a share or some physical asset that you actually own. So therefore. You know, the trustees of that trust have got an obligation to pay, obviously, in accordance with this Act. So that's kind of why superannuation benefits don't necessarily form part of the estate unless the trustee pays it there or a binding death benefit nomination is specified to, say, pay the legal person or representative of my estate. So that's, that's why. What about insurance policies? Yeah, Isn't insurance policies, um, we're talking about the insurance policies held under the name of the individual, not in SUPA, right? So in this situation, um, if the policy had a nominated beneficiary, then the, uh, the insurance proceeds would be paid directly to the nominated beneficiary. But in the absence of a nominated beneficiary, the proceeds, the insurance proceeds will be paid to the deceased state. Right. Okay. So we've identified what are the sorts of assets you normally see inside an estate. What about the beneficiaries? Beneficiaries, uh, usually we see someone who's included in the deceased will, then those individuals would normally be the beneficiaries of the deceased mm-hmm. state. But what if the deceased died without a will? Then we have to go through, uh, you know, what type of assets deceased had, and there's Depending on the type of assets, there's a state-based or territory-based intestacy rules, uh, including in the Succession Act in each of the territory or state. And in the intestacy, by the intestacy rules, a different state may identify different beneficiaries to the deceased state. Oh, so we call the next of Yeah. So the beneficiaries are kind of defined by law yeah. in that situation. Um, obviously, if you have your own will, the beneficiaries that you nominate are going to be the beneficiaries, but uh, if you someone dies intestate oh, without a will, then it comes down to the laws of intestacy in the relevant state. And then finally, what about the trustee? Who is the trustee of the deceased estate? Yep. If the deceased died with a will and that will is valid, um, the uh, trustee usually is the nominated executor by the will. Again, if the deceased died without a will, um, it's not clear who might be. The family uh, will have to go to the court and will ask the court to nominate someone to be the administrator of the deceased. Uh, and they, the LPR or uh, the legal person representative, meaning the trustee of the deceased state, would it be whoever nominated, uh, approved, appointed by the court, rather appointed. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Right. So at the end of the day, we've got pretty much just a trust. An estate is just a trust that's set up to hold the assets of the deceased for the benefit of the beneficiaries. The assets are those assets that form part of the estate normally. The beneficiaries are those people we specify in the will or outlined in the the laws of intestacy in the relevant state. Um, And the trustee will simply be the legal person representative or the person issued with letters of administration, once again, if the person dies intestate. So Okay, so that all becomes quite clear. We've got a trustee. Now, what are the obligations, however, of the trustee when it actually comes to lodging tax returns? Yeah, once they uh, 
the the executor or an, an administrator appointed by the court receive that piece of paper could it be the grant of probate or letters of administration um craig you just mentioned earlier then mm -hmm. they officially become the legal personal representative for the deceased person um, they can obtain the taxing information um uh, held by the ato for the deceased person so first thing first they are obliged to lodge a final uh, tax return for the deceased person. So probably we heard about it. It's the date of death return. So it's from mm -hmm. the financial year, first July over the financial year, in the year that the deceased passed away to the point the deceased passed away, uh, whatever the income received by the deceased during that period, that needs to be reported as income uh, for the final return of the deceased person. Uh, that could be rent, dividends, wages, or could be you know net capital gains, um, you, you, you name it. Um, and um, um, from there onwards, the LPR, also is required to look at has the deceased lodged all the pre previous financial years tax returns if not uh, they have a legal obligation you're laughing there right yeah, <laughs> uh, just... there's situations um, you'll be surprised that how many you know outstanding prior year tax returns haven't yet to be lodged then it's lps responsibility to lodge them God, I know how it is, how hard it is just doing my own tax return, let alone doing someone else's tax return from five years ago when yeah. they're no longer around to ask yeah. what was going on. Exactly. So trying to find all those records, that must be a nightmare. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, deceased estates don't, you know, they take a while to actually administer, right? So they're normally not paid out within the same financial year that someone passes away. Um, you've got the date of death return and then you've got the the residual of the, of the tax year. So... How does that work? What are the obligations on the executor or the, the trustee of the estate in that situation? Yeah, sure. Um, after the date of death, uh, the deceased estate might receive income uh, or their certain income uh, will be paid to the deceased estate. So the LPR over the deceased estate, meaning the trustee over the trust, is liable to report those income, uh, not in the individual's date of death return, but in the trust mm -hmm. return. So it's a deceased estate trust return. It's a trust return uh, that is required to be used to report income, claim certain deductions where applicable, or claim any tax refund or franking credits uh, owned to the deceased state. So as long as the uh, deceased state is open, the LPR uh, is required to check those details, make sure they report such income, uh, and check all the tax obligations uh, and before they make any final distribution because if they don't guess what they could be liable personally liable for any uh, tax owned uh, by, by the deceased state okay so during the administration phase obviously special tax rates apply and we'll talk about those in a moment however this also depends on whether any beneficiaries have a present entitlement so this is actually a really critical thing to understand with the taxation of a state. So lay it on us, what's present entitlement? Gosh, it's such a big topic, right? Present entitlement. Where can we start? How can we start, Craig? So um, mm -hmm. it's 1936 Act um, that 
that means it's going to be complicated. That means this critical element, unfortunately, is not defined by the tax law. Now, what do we need to do? We need to hunt. What did the judges say in various cases? So in this particular case, um, the high court actually considered the meaning of a present entitlement in a number of leading cases. So we have uh, Whiting, we have Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. So on a very, very high level, uh, they're looking for uh, two things. The first one is whether or not the beneficiary of the deceased state has indefeasible, absolutely vested interest in the income. What does that mean? <laughs> it means if the beneficiary has a claim or interest in the income, it cannot be defeated by another person, right? May not be the case if the trust or the state has a potential dispute, then it's questionable whether the claim or interest in the income can be defeated. So we're looking for indefeasible, absolutely vested interest. That's the first part. And the second part is whether or not the beneficiary has the right to demand immediate payment of the income. So it's the demand of the immediate payment so it means the beneficiary can be presently entitled, even though they may not have actually received the income. All right. So when I think about that, it's it's basically the situation that we get to where the trustee says, well, the, the state's been administered. We know who's getting what. Yep. So there's no challenges. No one can come in and say, actually, no, that's not yours, Craig. That's mine. No. All over Red Rover. Those are your assets. This is how it's going to be distributed. And the person actually has a right to say to the trustee of the estate or the legal person representative, give me that money now or give me that asset now. If we're in that situation, then they have present entitlement. Yeah. Right? So does that is that how it applies in the deceased estate context? Yes, I completely agree with you. I just couldn't put it better than you did. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we're in that situation. So, okay. Um, well, in this case, how how is that going to work? Because obviously, at not all points in the administration of an estate, am I going to be able to go in and say, "Well, that's my well, that's my asset, that's my income, and give it to me now," right? So, there's obviously going to be different time periods or stages in which someone may not have present entitlement, may have an indication of present entitlement, or absolutely has present entitlement. Although that kind of, you know, it's a bit weird what we just said before. You, you can't kind of have present entitlement. You've either got it or you don't, right? But there's going to be different time periods within the administration of the state that you either do or you don't. Can you run through those? Yeah, just to start with, uh, the ATO was very helpful. Um, you know, ages ago, they issued a tax ruling. If you want to get the integrity details, it's a tax ruling 2622. Um, it's kind of um, quite insightful, in my opinion, uh, at least to give some sort of some indications or answers to many, many of the questions that we could not have answered. So the ATO has mentioned um, that it really depends um, the stage where the administration of the deceased state has reached 
And secondly, the terms, of course, the terms of the deceased, the will, uh, or the order made by the courts. And lastly, it depends on whether there's any interim or discretionary payment that have been made by the LPR to the beneficiary um, during various stages of the administration. And the ATO has clearly identified three stages of the administration of the deceased state in the same ruling. So again, that's 2622. Um, Craig, do you want to go through those um, the three different yes, stages? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Please. So there's, I think there's an initial stage. Do you want to outline what that is? Yeah. So there's an initial stage. As the name suggests, uh, it's the um, starting point of the deceased states. At this stage, the LPR, LPR could be really busy. They're collecting the, uh, the assets. They're collecting the, um, the, the outstanding debts. They try to determine, you know, whether or not the state has enough assets or income uh, to cover the deceased state debt, and they have to pay the funeral expenses or other testamentary expenses. So, um, you know, during that stage, it's not possible for any beneficiary to be presently entitled to any of the income of the state, because even the LPR themselves don't know whether the state has enough assets or income to cover those, um, uh, those expenses. So I suppose there the concept is that you you know you've got creditors of the estate, so they can come in, and if they've they you know their liabilities against the estate exceed the assets of the estate, then you can't have anyone that's presently entitled, right? Because they're going to take the money away from you. They, you've got to they've got to settle the debts first, right? Yep. So in that situation, because it's not possible to know, <laughs> you know that that this person is going to get that money, they can't clearly be presently entitled to anything. So that in that initial stage, no one's presently entitled. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So obviously then there's a next stage. What's that all about? Uh, it's called intermediate stage. So as the name suggested, right. it's <laughs> somewhere in the middle uh, to the stage where a point might have been reached. Uh, the LPR has identified, okay, so this amount of net income of the trust definitely is um, – we, we don't need it. So we have enough assets or we have enough other income to, to cover the expenses, uh, whatever needs to be covered. So the LPR uh, would be really confident at this stage that this particular net income of the trust, I don't need it. Um, I have the option to make a payment, make an interim payment before the state is finalized, but I know I don't need it. So I'm confident I'm going to make this payment and I will make the payment uh, to the eligible beneficiaries. And if they do make the actual payment, that payment represents the net income of a share of a net income in the state uh, that would be regarded as uh, the beneficiary is presently entitled to that particular payment. But anything okay. they did so not... So yeah, there. Yeah. So, so if a trustee says, right, I'm pretty sure I've got enough money here to start paying things and I actually make a decision and pay... Yep then I've got present entitlement in that situation. Yep. But what, what if they're saying, okay, well, you know, I'm pretty sure I've got enough, but, you know, I'm not paying in, out anything until, you know, everything's completely finalised. Mm -hmm. uh, if I were the, in that situation? Yeah, if I was the executor, I would be exactly doing exactly 
that because I don't want mm-hmm. to be personally liable for any, uh, you know, outstanding yeah. debt, etc. Right. So for vast majority of the case, um, maybe during this stage, that the LPR or the executive administrator, they're not making any payment. If they do not make any payment, the ATO said during the intermediate stage, then that's fine. So long you don't receive any payment as beneficiary, then no beneficiary can be presently entitled to the trust income. Okay. All right. So then our final stage. So this is obviously where the fund, well, sorry, not the fund, <laughs> for a super fund, you think yeah. that's why I just keep on talking about funds. So in this case, so the estate is now in a position that it's ready to be wound up. The, the, the executive is absolutely clear in terms of, yes, he's identified what's available. Yeah. So then we're into this final stage. So how does that work? Yeah, what's the final stage is re- uh, reached. Uh, meaning the residual uh, state has been ascertained um, and all the debts uh, is cleared. Once that stage is reached, then the beneficiaries can be presently entitled to the trust income. Whether or not the LPR makes actual distribution of those income, it does not matter. The thing is, um, once the administration is completed, uh, the beneficiaries are presently entitled to the income derived by the state. All right. So what that's going to say to us that in that situation, that once they become presently entitled, then there's tax obligation that's going to hit upon the uh, the beneficiaries. But we'll come back to that, right? We'll come back to that. So prior to those beneficiaries becoming presently entitled, how is the estate taxed on income derived from estate assets when there is no present entitlement? Yeah, where um, the income... Um to which no beneficiary can be presently entitled to, uh, those income and net income of the state needs to be taxed by the LPR uh, at a particular tax rate. So people might be going, hang on, you just told me that's a trust. And we know that a return the profit or not distributed uh, net income of the trust is ordinarily taxed at highest marginal tax rate, which is 47%, including 2% Medicare levy. Are you telling me those income in the deceased state are going to be taxed at 47% or actually because we're dealing with a deceased state and in the tax law, the 1936 Act, it allows a special concessional tax rate to be applied to the income where no beneficiary can be presently entitled to. Um, do, do you want me to go through those? Those rules yeah, on the yeah, that, high level. That was my next question, obviously. <laughs> so, how does that work? Yeah. Okay, so if if we're in this situation that you know that there's no present entitlement, yeah. um, you know, how does it? How? What are these rules that the ATO can exercise? So, just run us through how that works. Yeah. So during the first three income years, so the first income year most likely would be. Um, half or part of the financial year. It cannot be a whole financial year because the first income year started from date of death to the end of 30th June. Sorry, the day after the date of death to the, to the 30th June. We needed to, we're technical people, right? We needed to be um, <laughs> precise. Yeah, so the first income year most likely is a part of the financial year and then the following two financial years. Uh, during these three years, um, the tax rate is like, as if the deceased state is an individual. 
So the benefit is that they're entitled to the full 18,200 tax-free threshold, even during the first year where it's not a full financial year. Um, they get it. And then the tax scale is exactly the same as adult individual. So think about it. It's the quite a lot of concession that the state can mm -hmm. get from there. But again, we are talking about the circumstances uh, where the DC state is still in the middle of the administration. We're not talking about this, the circumstances where the beneficiaries are presently entitled to that. So, so during during this period, I would imagine that if you've got a beneficiary that would otherwise be paying, paying tax at the top marginal rate, yep. Um, then that's quite a good outcome for them. Yeah, as long as the um, state most likely has potential dispute. Otherwise, why are it going on for you know two, three years, right? So if that's the case, yeah. absolutely, yeah. The state pays tax at a concessional tax rate. Yeah, the potential high marginal tax rate beneficiaries can avoid paying tax during that stage. Although when I think <laughs> most people... On the, on the chance of being given a lump sum, just want the lump sum. Yeah. I'll have that, please. Don't, don't hold it away somewhere else because I'm getting a tax credit. No, give me the money now. <laughs> um, so that's how I'm at. What about the fourth and later? So as you just said, most estates would be wound up within that three-year period. But what if there's a dispute going on with, you know, spouses, you know, multiple ex-spouses at loggerheads with each other? Um, and it's going through the courts and all this sort of stuff. How does how does that then work? Yeah, there's a different tax scale. It's still uh, the not 47%. Uh, it's less concession um, becomes available, but still uh, it's um, still quite concession quite quite a concessional in my opinion compared with some high income earners uh, but we're not going to go through all the tax skills in this podcast are, are we uh, Craig no no so very important to understand that this this podcast is based off uh, Linda's article Linda and Kim's article uh, in relation to um, you know the treatment of estates for tax and Centrelink purposes so we've got a paper there it runs through if you want to know exactly how uh, and a state is taxed during that period, then go to the paper and have a look there. We could run through it here, but you start we start firing figures at you and you just forget it straight away. So go and have a look at the article. Now, obviously, we've talked about, okay, present entitlement is really important, um, but what happens when there is no present entitlement because we've not got a position to the estate that the, the LPR can know with any certainty? Now we're in a position where there is present entitlement. So... What happens there? Yeah, if the beneficiaries are presently entitled to certain trust income, and those net income um, of the deceased state uh, will no longer be taxed at the state tax rate. It will be taxed at the beneficiary's marginal tax rate. But how the tax is collected, how the tax is paid uh, can, again, be quite complicated, uh, really depending on whether or not the beneficiary is under a legal disability or whether the beneficiary is a tax resident or not. Okay. So what if the beneficiary is under a legal disability or a non-resident? How does it work? Yeah. So if the beneficiary is just, um, you know, ordinary adult child, um, in perfectly, uh, not adult, adult person, not child, adult person, mm -hmm. uh, they are not mm -hmm. under legal disability. They are tax resident. Um, yeah, they are required to report the 
presently entitled income in their individual tax return. Um, they need to pay tax themselves. Uh, everything's consolidated through their own individual tax return. But even the beneficiaries and the legal disability typically within minor child under age 18 or someone who has mental disability. Uh, or uh, we got so many calls these days where the beneficiaries are not in Australia. They're actually tax residents of another country. So meaning they're foreign residents. If that's the situation, um, the tax law says you trustee, meaning the executor or the administrator, you have to pay tax, but you pay tax at the beneficiary's marginal tax rate, and you have to, uh, you know, um, report those income and also pay tax uh, in the trust after you lodge the trust return. So that's kind of interesting. And then um, the, 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 the beneficiary with a disability, uh, a legal disability or for residents, they may uh, be required to, again, consolidate that um, income in their individual tax return. Um, but we're not going to go through the, the, the nitty-gritty details. On the high level, where the beneficiaries are presently entitled to the trust income, the trust income are taxed at their individual marginal tax rate. Okay, so if I can summarise all of what we've been talking about for the last 25 or 30 minutes, um, is that in terms of the estate, during the period after death the and before anyone's presently entitled, then the trustee will have to do a date of death return uh, for the deceased member and then they will have to pay tax um, at marginal adult tax rates, as long as the the, um, the estate is administered within three years. If it goes longer, then there's different tax rates apply for it. But once we have present entitlement, and if you're someone that is not suffering legal disability and you're a tax resident, you have to start including that income that you're presently entitled in your tax return. So we can't just leave it in the estate and go, you beauty, I don't have to pay tax. Actually, from present entitlement, you do, right? Um, if you're a minor or someone that's non-resident, then the, the executive of the state will actually have to pay tax on your behalf at resident. No, is it resident tax rates or adult tax rates? Adult tax rate of for, for yeah, minor adult. child. Yeah, yeah, because we're okay. talking about income from this estate. Okay, okay so that summarises that pretty neatly. Are there any exceptions? Uh, there are there are certain income when it's paid to the deceased state. Uh, no matter what, that's always be taken that no beneficiary can be presently entitled to. So classic example would be the um, super death benefit to the state, where mm-hmm. they um, the 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 executive or the administrator pass the. Uh, deceased the super death benefit to a non-tax dependent through the state. So uh, that's a classic example where the taxable component, we're talking about the tax element or untax element, is actually taxed in the hands of the LPR, has nothing to do with the beneficiary. The beneficiary will receive uh, the payment after tax is taken. We're talking about up to 15% uh, for the tax element, up to 30% for the untax element payable by the LPR. And very importantly, where in the deceased state, the income where no beneficiaries can be presently entitled to, the Medicare levy does not apply. So we are talking about a potential, potentially 2% saving when the death benefit, the super death benefit is passed to the state and then passed to the beneficiaries. 
Nora, terrific. Okay, so I think that pretty much sums it up. So you're off the hook from a tax perspective. Now, Kim, Hello. you have been having a lovely time sitting there getting off so far scot-free. I have. <laughs> and now, okay, so we've gone through, we've heard Linda describe how tax works. What happens from a Centrelink perspective? So if all of these assets are sitting inside the estate and the beneficiaries potentially are on age pension or some other means-tested benefit, are they cool? Like are they just going, woohoo, we can have all of these assets sitting there in this estate and I don't need to worry about it? Not exactly. So um, Centrelink rules are a little bit similar to tax rules in that when Centrelink sort of acknowledged that when someone passes away, it's going to take some time to administer the estate. And so while those assets are in the estate and that person doesn't have, isn't able to receive or hasn't received their benefits from the estate, then they don't assess it as the beneficiary's asset yet. So it's almost a present entitlement kind of concept. So Centrelink put it as um, able to be received or received your entitlement. Once that happens, it becomes accessible to the beneficiary. Um, and they, they, they sort of understand that it might take up to 12 months to administer that estate. Um, but if, uh, as soon as you receive it, though, you're supposed to tell Centrelink within 14 days, and then, of course, it's mm -hmm. accessible from that point. But if it's 12 months has gone by and you still haven't told Centrelink that you have received or able to receive your entitlement from the estate, then Centrelink will um, send out a letter and say, so what's happening? Why, um, why haven't you received your entitlement from the estate? And they will investigate whether something is preventing that from occurring. And, right. for example, if the client is the executor of the estate and they have discretion as to when um, they can administer the estate, that might be one of the situations where someone go, well, you're actually maybe delaying the administration of this estate and we might be able to, we might have to start assessing those assets of yours because you are actually the executor who has control over that decision. Um, mm -hmm. But if the client's not the executor and there are just delays in administering the estate, then, um, you know, it won't be assessed as their asset until it's able to be received or is actually received. So so an example I can think of there is let's say you've got, you know, a child from a previous relationship or, or some sort of beneficiary that would have a claim against the estate that is challenging the estate. Uh, in that situation, it would be pretty unfair for Centrelink to come in and say, oh, well, this has taken, this is, you're up to two years now, we're just going to attribute all of these assets to you, where it's not actually clear yet that that, that beneficiary will get those assets because, you know, the, the state is not resolved because the challenge hasn't been resolved. Exactly. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah. that's a valid reason why the estate hasn't been administered and it's not clear that you're able to receive those benefits. And so in those circumstances, particularly if you're not the executor, um, Centrelink wouldn't be assessing those assets as belonging to that person. Right. So if I think about what all of that means, so after death, the assets are sitting in the estate. If you can be paid those, those assets or you have been paid them, once they will start treating them as accessible assets. But if it hasn't been, you know, paid out, after 12 months, they're going to come in and ask some questions why. And if there is a legitimate reason why you can't be actually be paid those assets out of the estate, then they'll go, fine, they won't treat it as an asset. But if they think that you're artificially trying to withhold the administration of the estate to get more age pension or something strange, um, in that situation, then they can actually come in and say, no, yes, you, you should be able to administer this estate. These assets are yours. We think they belong to you. We're going to start assessing them as yours. 
Exactly. Yep. Okay. Terrific. All right. Well, we've talked about estates now for some 35, 37 odd minutes. I think we've had enough, unless anyone else wants to talk a bit more about anything. Uh, no? Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> lots, of, lots of silence on yeah, lots of silence on that one. Okay, so I think we'll wind it up there. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during this podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.